From Given Up Media, I'm Alex Bloomberg, and this is Without Fail, the show where I talk to athletes, artists, entrepreneurs, visionaries of all kinds about their successes and their failures and what they've learned from both. I was recently talking with my co-founder, Matt, about this thing that sometimes happens lately. So, you know, our company, Gimlet, is four years old, but we still find ourselves in positions all the time where we don't quite know how to act. Yeah, I think a lot of, I'll walk into a lot of situations I've never been in in the company and be thinking like, oh, what, what, is, a, what is a leader supposed to do in this situation? Like, how is, a, how is a person in my role supposed to behave? I do the same thing. Um, oh my God. Because you don't, you've never done it before. You don't have really a role model. And so you're just like, what do I do now? What do I do here? Right. And like, and I find myself thinking like, should I be doing this a way that I'm not doing? When I lived in Chicago, I also used to think a lot about like, what would Michael Jordan do? Like, <laughs> like in, in the context of your life, like how would Michael yes. Jordan edit this radio story? Yeah, but I would like think like, now that's a winner. I want to be a winner. What would he, what would he do? I'm not even joking. One of the things I do think about in situations is I think about ski racers. Mm. If you watch ski racers in like a big downhill where you're taking like big, huge turns at like 60, 80 miles an hour mm -hmm. and you know the course and what they do is they visualize the race. Mm -hmm. And so they, they, you'll see them actually by the start gates, they're wearing skin tight clothes. It's freezing cold. They're completely alone and exposed up on a windy mountain and they'll be standing in the snow their knees are bent and they're you can see them visualizing in their head here's how i'm going to take this turn and here's how i'm going to take that turn and because they've done it so many times and they by visualizing it they are then able to make it real and that mm -hmm. i do a lot mm -hmm. that i like if i have this big situation i'm heading into like a big meeting or a difficult conversation i will I will envision how it's going to go multiple times so that I'm prepared for all of, like, what could happen. I didn't know that about you. Yep. Kind of four years. Yeah. Still learning things about each but other. But then, so I'm often prepared for what may happen, but the drawback is then I'm not that open and present to what uh -huh. else could happen. Mm -hmm. And I don't get that emotional. I'm pretty much like, okay, now there's this turn and that turn and this turn and that turn, right. as opposed to like being being open to what what other turns there could be living in the moment living in the moment yeah do you think sports is a metaphor for life um well i i'm not sure i've i've often thought not um but i did have a conversation uh which we're about to play on the show with someone who made me think in certain places it may be a metaphor for life i talked to andre iguodala you know basketball player for the Golden State Warriors, world champion. And he was also a sports as a metaphor for life skeptic. Um, but then his mind was sort of, he came up with a way in which it actually it, it actually is. And and we eventually got to talking about that. And I, I, I became convinced. Oh. NBA season. There's the buzzer. There's a new dynasty in the NBA. The Golden State Warriors champions once again, back-to-back -back titles. Andre Iguodala's team, the Golden State Warriors, have won the NBA basketball championship three of the last four years. They're routinely called one of the most dominant teams in NBA history. 
Their star players like Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are cultural icons on TV commercials for brands like Nike and Under Armour. Their jerseys are some of the NBA's best-selling. The arena where they play in Oakland sells out every game. And Andre, well, not the face of the team, has been called the super glue. He was the most valuable player of the 2015 championship, putting him in elite company with Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, and Kobe Bryant. Andre is also one of the sports world's biggest investors. He took an early interest in it and has made investments in companies like Apple, Tesla, and Facebook. He hosts a big tech summit for athletes. And he and I had a wide-ranging conversation. We talked about what it's like to play for a team when everyone loves you, what it's like to play for a team when everyone does the opposite of loving you. And we got to a definitive answer on the question that Matt and I had. Are sports really a metaphor for life? And I actually learned a real-life management lesson that I will keep with me forever. So, without further ado, here it is, my conversation with Golden State Warrior, Andre Iguodala. When did you realize I'm a good athlete? I knew that at a young age. Yeah, how old? How old do you know? I don't know, seven, eight. How? Because I was, like, good at every sport. Uh-huh. It just came natural. Like, I played shortstop, so you uh-huh. get all the balls in baseball. Right. Play quarterback and receiver in football. Mm-hmm. One hand catches. I could throw the ball. The soccer team actually wanted me to be the goalie. Oh, really? In high school. I uh-huh. was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Andre was so good at so many different sports that it took him a while just to realize how great he was at basketball. But eventually, he caught the attention of big Division One schools and then the NBA. In 2004, after a breakout season at the University of Arizona, he entered the NBA draft. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the NBA draft at the theater at Madison Square Garden in New York City, home of the Knicks and the WNBA's Liberty. He was 20 years old, and the way the draft works for non-sports fans, it's just like on the playground when you're picking teams for dodgeball. Each NBA team takes a turn, and the person who gets picked first, that's the best player. You want to go as close to number one as possible, ideally in the top 10. Unlike playground dodgeball, though, not everyone who wants to play gets picked. Each year, many, many players looking to go to the NBA, they go undrafted. Andre, though, he was projected to go pretty high. I was projected like anywhere from three to like six. So everybody's telling you you're going to go high. Right. So we get to like seven. I haven't got picked yet. So I'm like, man, <laughs> you know, someone sets expectations for you and then you don't know what to expect. And it was like, are you a bust? You know what I'm saying? Like, you, I had like crazy thoughts like, am I not going to get picked? Really? Right. You know, so Toronto comes at eight, the camera's on me. I'm, and that's how you know you're getting drafted, the cameras come on you. And I'm like, Toronto? I didn't work out for Toronto. Uh-huh. And it's all that stigma on being in Canada, so I'm like <laughs> nervous, like, no way. Uh, but Rafael <laughs> Rujo was behind me. No one knows that name, but he was behind me and he's the one that got picked. So, so then I get picked. With the ninth pick in the 2004 NBA draft, the Philadelphia 76ers select Andre Iguodala from the University of Arizona. And then I don't know how to feel. It's like, did I go too late? Uh-uh. You know, what type of questions am I going to get? When you get picked, you go on stage, shake hands, uh-huh. and you, you see the draftees start talking to uh, interviewers and reporters right there, and it's live. Yeah. There's a live feed right there, too. So you can hear yourself. So as soon as I get done, I do a little interview, I hear Dick Vitale. Legendary announcer Dick Vitale. He pops up. He goes crazy. I can't believe the Sixers picked him. 
this guy's a bust. What? Right, right, right. Oh, my God. Right. So Dick Vitale went crazy. He broke down my stats. I only shot 19% from three. Uh-huh. Just athletic, no basketball game. About Iguodala. Couldn't dominate on a collegiate level. I love his athleticism, but he averaged 12 points a game in a fast-paced game with Arizona. Shows you the thinness of this draft when a guy's a lottery selection and he can't dominate in college. Funny thing is, I, ran into, I hadn't spoke to Dick Vitale. Two years ago, I ran into him. Mm-hmm. And I know he doesn't remember. Yeah. He came up and apologized. Oh, really? That was crazy. Are you kidding me? He came up. He was like, sorry, I got you wrong. I'm like, you remember that? That was 13 years ago. Uh-huh. Like, I thought I was the only one who remembered it. Yeah. But I didn't bring it up to him. He just approached me, and I was like, that's pretty cool. It was cool when the apology came. But back on draft night, 2004, it was really confusing for Andre. And something of a harbinger for what was to come on his new team, the Philadelphia 76ers. See, The Sixers, they've been coming off a pretty good run, consistently going into the playoffs and even making the finals, behind their beloved superstar, Allen Iverson. But Iverson, everyone could tell, was nearing the end of his career, and all eyes were on the 76ers' new draft pick, Andre Iguodala, to be the new superstar of the team. And Philly, it's a tough place to play. It's a huge sports town. They're passionate about their teams. And in 2006, two years into Andre's tenure in Philly, Allen Iverson was traded, and the press they zeroed in on Andre, demanding that he fill Iverson's shoes and letting him know every time he didn't. A typical headline, is Iguodala overrated? Or reliance on Iguodala defies logic. Headlines called him a little dipper and a second fiddle. I could hide behind Allen Iverson my first two years, and I was a big kid. Like, I like to joke around and have fun. He was like, you don't play too much. I've been hearing that my whole life. You know, just oh, joking, really? joking around. Like, I like to have fun joking around. Uh-huh. Um, but when he left, it was like, you know, the main guy takes all the blame. Uh-huh. He gets a D, Andre Iguodala. I'm telling you, he is not making no big plays. He disappeared. The Sixers are promoting him as, this is our star player. This is the guy that's going to take it to the promised land. He's not that guy. And why does he think he's Kobe Bryant when he's not Kobe Bryant? Overrated. <laughs> I mean, I like Iggy, but he's not a number one option. He can't manufacture his own shot. So... To me, he doesn't shoot well. He's like, I was fighting against them every night. It was like... Them being the media or the fans? or It was more so the, the media. Uh-huh. You know, you kind of like, you're trying to prove them wrong. And it's like, wait, why am I trying to prove you wrong? I'm supposed to prove the other team wrong. So every night, I was going against them and I was going against the other team. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had a game, my teammate, Reggie Evans, was like, man, you got your teammates are open, dog. Pass the ball, you're shooting too much. And I never shot that much. Right. Like, I was never a guy that shot too many shots. Uh-huh. But I was playing against the media. <laughs> I was like, right. man, I'm getting 30 tonight. Because <laughs> you're tired of getting hammered in the media for not getting enough points? Right. Yeah, that's So bad. I'm like, so I'm like, yeah. and I'm yelling at Reggie like, man, we're going to lose. They're going to blame me. So I'm just trying to make sure we win. Really? I was in Philly. It's like, you got to win. So right. I was like trying to win. Right. So that, it, it kind of shaped everything that you did. It can, it can shape your life. It's, fun, it's funny, like, now that you're mentioning that, like, it's something I've heard before, but it just sort of clicked with me when you were saying is, like, how public your job is, mm-hmm. right? Like, you, you don't, I don't have anybody watching me do my job on a day-to-day basis. And if they were, they'd be like, wait, why are you, why are you watching that YouTube video right now? You should be, like, you know, you should be, like, preparing for this meeting or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? And if somebody was, like, just watching me every single second while I was doing my job and then writing about it. Right. Like, that's crazy. But then that someone will say, well, that's what you get paid for. Right. Some athletes are able to 
tune it out. It makes them great. But at the same time, some athletes are able to lock into it and hear it and use it. Uh-huh. And and it's great. But then the opposite, some some guys will block it out and it bothers them still because uh-huh. it's still right there. And some players are looking into it too much right. and it affects them. Was there like a moment that you think back on in Philly that was like the absolute like where it was just like, this was like my worst moment here? Um... I used to get cursed out a lot in the, like, the street, like walking down the street. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it used to be funny. I thought it was funny. Give me a time. Wait, I was with Richard McBride, my high school teammate. Okay. And he came out to Philly for the first time. And he was going to come to a game. We were going to hang out. So I'm telling Richard McBride, like, if somebody says something to you, just be cool. Uh-huh. And he's like, what? What you mean? I'm like, man, we lost last night. So it's going to get kind of hectic. <laughs> he's like what like he's this, like this is your town right but here's like, where I left out uh-huh. he was with his then girlfriend uh-huh. so she wanted to go to the museum uh-huh. so he like bro we going to the museum we doing something sophisticated right. so, you think we can cut that at the museum <laughs> like bro we going to the museum I know this but we gotta walk cause we like downtown so we gotta walk I'm like somebody says something just be cool uh-huh. so we went to the museum of anatomy like at a body it was dope and uh, we walking down the street and this dude walked past saw me and just F you mother effort like you sorry mother F he was like he was like yo like what he was like yo man what's really good with these people and then I got a couple scowls he was like yo man like I thought you were joking like he just started laughing he was like man we had this thing where I'm from we call it that we say that's league like man that's league like <laughs> man that's crazy to the highest level he was like man that's league man we just got cursed out two times today and what do you feel like when that happens do you want to like i was used to it at that point because uh-huh. it happened so many times so you just like yeah so it was like all right man i love you too so there's a there's an interesting dynamic with the philly fans but right. it always gets out that i said it's, it's a tough place to play mm-hmm. and then when i go there they're pissed at me mm-hmm. but I always say this as well is that I needed that. Mm-hmm. I need, you know, I needed Philly to kind of mature and grow up, mm-hmm. and it turned me into a businessman. After the break, how Philadelphia turned Andre Iguodala into a businessman, and how turning him into a businessman got him a championship. That's coming up after these words from our sponsors. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome back to Without Fail and my conversation with NBA player Andre Iguodala. When Andre Iguodala says Philly turned him into a businessman, a lot of that has to do with the fact that in Philly, he met his business partner, Rudy Klein-Thomas. Rudy was running a business management company for some NFL and NBA players, including one of Andre's teammates. Andre and Rudy met, hit it off, had long conversations about basketball, fashion, tech. They geeked out over finance, and Rudy became Andre's financial advisor. So I got Standard & Poor's, like, dummy to investing uh-huh. and read through that, learned about large cap, small cap, mid cap, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I got an E-Trade account and, and 
start investing in companies. And Rudy was helping me with it. Uh, then I was like, Apple. That's when the iPhones first start coming out. Getting iPhone 1, iPhone 2, you know, the iPhone 2 Plus. And you guys start getting the iPad. And then I read an article. If you had all the Apple products that you've bought, say you had six Apple products, and in total, like, I don't know, three grand. If you took that money and just invested it in Apple, mm-hmm. and, and over this same period of time, this is how much money you would have made. Right. So it was around that time you start seeing, you know, this is how you invest in startups. Because you see Apple stock, and you see, like, when did Apple hit the market? Um, he was like, who invested in Apple back then, and how much is that money worth now? And it's like, who would know to invest back then? Who would know? Who even were the people who knew about these companies when they were just forming? And how could Andre become one of them? How could he move from being one of millions of people who trades Apple stock on E-Trade to becoming one of a handful of people who's able to invest in the next Apple? He knew that Silicon Valley was the place for him to go to learn all about that. He had done some startup investments, but he knew that to get really deeply involved, to make big moves, he was going to have to move to the Bay Area. And so when he became a free agent, he reached out to the Golden State Warriors. And Andre says at first, the Warriors weren't interested. They couldn't afford him. But then his agent worked out a three-team trade. And in 2013, Andre found a new home at Golden State, where he was able to play for a new team and pursue his new interest, startup investing. And then uh, Rudy emailed like every VC. Uh-huh. And, and you're saying what? Uh, we would like to sit down. I'm a new member of the Golden State Warriors, um, really interested in the tech space, want to know how it works, willing to do the groundwork, uh-huh. just want to get some access to how things work, maybe take an internship. So we went to Silicon Valley, sent all those emails out. Um, we got a couple responses. I sat down with one company, and, and the guy was like, I'm telling him the backstory. He's like, stick to your E-Trade account. Like, that was all he said the whole meeting. He was like, ah, I stick to E-Trade account, but, you know, appreciate you guys inviting me, uh, but I don't think this is for you. It was like, what was that? What do you think that meant? Well, you learn that this, like, that billionaire boys club is real. Like, uh-huh. you know, they keep people out for a reason. I mean, I don't think any of them were malicious and like, right. no, I don't want you to come in here because you're black. Right. But it's just more so I was an athlete. You know, uh-huh. it's like, nah, you athletes, you know, right. you guys, it's different. Like, this is hard work. Like, this, you, you don't see me coming over there playing basketball. Mm-hmm. Like, Evan Turner, like. Um, Fellow basketball player. Yeah. Philadelphia, yeah. yeah. Unfiltered. Uh-huh. But, uh. He was like, you know, it's a rapper that always hits him up, like, come hoop with us, come play basketball. He was like, man, I'm not playing basketball. This is like one of the top rappers out, <laughs> right? He was like, now what if I go in the studio and start making beats and I call you and say, hey, man, come lay a verse for me? You're not going to just get on a song with me. <laughs> so it's a similar, you know what I mean? Like, right. it's similar as like some of these guys are like, you don't see me trying to play basketball with you and get, go to the NBA. Like, yeah. this is what we do. We take it seriously. We're at the top of what we do. So. Uh-huh. You know, you do what you do. Right. And there was more of that vibe than I don't want you around here. But Andre persisted. And eventually he found a guy at a big VC firm who taught him the ropes, introduced him to a bunch of companies. But still, Andre wasn't getting access to the best deals, the companies that had the best chance to become the next Apple. And that's the funny thing about Silicon Valley, the thing that most people don't fully understand. It's sort of the opposite of what a lot of people think. People think startups, they have to convince the investors to give them the money. And in many cases, that's the truth. That was the way it was for us, for example. But if you're a super hot startup, all that's reversed. Investors have to beg to be allowed to invest in you. The thing is, lots of people have money to invest. These hot startups are looking for investors with something else to offer. 
technical expertise or a track record of helping build successful companies. And Andre, he didn't have that much to offer besides his money. But then the Golden State Warriors won their first championship in 2015. Once you start winning championships, you start getting access. I know one company wouldn't let me in. I wanted to get in so bad. It was just, wouldn't let me get in. It was just, as soon as we won a championship, I got an email the next day. <laughs> hey, man, we about to close. You want to get in? Can you make a video, Uh-oh. Instagram video with the product, blah, blah, blah. It was like, it was harder to get in than we expected, but we got our foot in the door. Today, Andre and his business partner, Rudy Klein-Thomas, have stakes in about 25 startups, companies like Casper and the Players' Tribune. And along the way, Andre started winning basketball championships. So he's successful in sports, and he's successful in real life. Meaning, he is perfectly qualified to answer an age-old question. Is one a metaphor for the other? Is sports actually a metaphor for real life? The answer, from one of the few people who actually knows, after these words from our sponsors. Welcome back to Without Fail and my conversation with NBA player Andre Iguodala. How much of like success in sports does it translate? Are sports a metaphor for life or is it just sort of like it's just just its own realm? Okay, so once I won the first championship and then, you know, you get invited, you get access to all types of things and you get to speak in front of uh, Fortune 500 companies. You learn to make a parallel from the championship to anything in life. So I used to joke with guys like, man, listen, man, if you win a championship, you could give a speech on anything in life. So you can do anything you want. So it's funny. But in all seriousness, like we made it look easy mm-hmm. now. But like people have no idea how hard it is to win a championship. Like they have, it's so hard. What is the hard part? Well, ha- everything has to align. Like you got to mm-hmm. get the right draft picks in place. You got to have the right timing. It's like a lifetime of work. That's where people miss. Uh-huh. It's, everything's a lifetime of work that goes into this. Right. And then uh, we had to go through really hard times. What was the hardest part about winning that first championship in 2015? So I never got a rhythm the whole season until the finals. Mm -hmm. I was always out of rhythm. I was like, man, I've been averaging 15 to 20 points my whole career. And I'm I'm struggling to get eight. And I'm Uh, like, it's killing me. But we're winning. But it's like, man, like, we we are winning, but are we going to win the championship? Then it's like we get to Memphis Mm -hmm. in the playoffs and we're down Mm 2-1. We had this number, 300 passes or more, we would win. Like, uh, we knew that. 300 right. passes or more, we we lost one game in the last four years. Wow. Right? So 300 it, passes? 300 or more passes. In a, in a in game. game. Okay. So uh, I remember being in a meeting. I was like, Steph, look, man, you're the best in the league. Uh, but you, our shots are coming after one pass or no passes. And you making you making most of them, but, you know— it's not making Memphis work in their defensive team. Meaning you guys aren't passing enough. You're not making those 300 or more passes right. a game that is your winning formula. Right, right. And I told him, like, listen, when you pass to me, what you think I'm going to do? I'm going to do something and give it right back to you. Mm-hmm. Was that scary to tell him that? Was it like, was it weird? No, because of the way he is. Uh-huh. See, Steph is like, man, he's like as perfect as you can get to a human being. It's, it's weird. It's like him <laughs> and Grant Hill. <laughs> You know what I mean? They come from great families, then uh-huh. they don't have egos, they work hard and they maximize right. their talent. And so Steph and I have such a great relationship, it's easy to tell him something. Right. You know what I'm saying? And there's no way to approach him but with respect because of who he is. So um and it wasn't just him. Like Clay shoots quick. Steph take a quick shot. Draymond, you know, he'll take a quick shot now. So, you know, it's, it was a domino effect. Clay. And it's like one of those things that's weird is that like you cause you guys know three hundred passes. Like right. you know And we'll go through ten straight games with 250 passes and wonder why we six and four or, yeah. or seven and three and we How should be sitting up. 
Why is that? It's happen? just human nature. Yeah. It's just human you nature. Just forget. You gotta you, just you gotta get... you gotta reel it back in. And that's what takes having the type of coach that you have. You know what else? Like actually, I was a sports as a metaphor for life skeptic. Because mm-hmm. uh, I was like, there's nothing in my life that has like I'm not doing what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing a step. I don't have to make a split second decision with like five defenders flying right. at me. In fact, split second decisions in my life are probably bad. And and like what works for me often is introspection and like trying to be like, where where are my flaws? Like slowing down. But like your story made me feel like, oh wait, there is something. And it, I noticed this tendency myself, like when things are going wrong, you have this tendency that like, um, I got to fix it. Mm-hmm. We all become mm-hmm. sort of Donald Trump. Like yes. I alone can yes. fix. Yes, yes, yes. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. I alone yes. can solve. Yes. And like what yes. you really need to do, especially yes. in those moments, yes. is like seek help. Yes. Go to your team. Yes. Because you can't do it alone. Yes. I relate that story more than anything. Yeah. So people always say, how did you sacrifice being a superstar yeah. or on the brink of being a superstar? Uh, playing Olympics, making an all-star team to being yeah. a sixth man. I always say, listen, man, you might be an engineer in the back room you don't understand the impact you have on a company. Because some people are natural superstars. Uh-huh. And some people want to be known for that. It's like, listen, man, this is what I bring to the table, man. I want people to know that. And you keep giving them all the shine. You keep giving them all the attention. And I've had CEOs come up to me and be like, man, I know this guy's really good. But I need him to just play the back role and not seek the attention right now. I need him to just do what he does. And it's going to come in time where he can get it. But it's just not right now. And then he's he's thinking about leaving or he's getting attention elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't, you know, I, he doesn't know his effects because it's not out in the open. Right. So I've given talks yeah. about like sacrificing for the greater good, like taking a back seat so someone else can do their, get theirs right now. Then they take the back seat for someone else. And at the end of the day, we all going to win. Right. And that's what that passing thing was. It was like, okay, I give it up to you. You do your thing right now. I know you're going to give it back. Right. And I'm giving it to him. And then when we're all threats, that's when we are our best. Life, there's your sports metaphor. Thanks so much for listening to that conversation with Andre Iguodala. Next episode of Without Fail, someone who saw a big problem and set out to fix it by himself. So we went from 4 million students having access to 40. And that's that's almost 90% of, of students in America now. And it's basically all because of you. Well, I wouldn't say it's all because I know of me. you wouldn't. I mean, we've had but a, we've had a lot of help. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people who you made this happen. There's a lot of people, <laughs> but none of them got the ball rolling. Like if if you hadn't gone on this mission a while ago, I think it's safe to say that we wouldn't be anywhere close to where we are today. Yeah, I think that's fair. Who is this guy, and what problem would likely still be unsolved if not for him? That's coming up on the next episode of Without Fail. It's a crazy story. Without Fail is hosted by me and produced by Sarah Platt. It is edited by me, Nazneen Rafsanjani, and Devin Taylor. Peter Leonard mixed the episode. Music by Bobby Lord. If you'd like Without Fail, leave us a review. It helps other people discover the show. And speaking of helping other people discover the show, are you doing your part? Do you like listening to the show? Do you enjoy it? Share it with your friends. Tell them about it. Don't just keep it to yourself. And as always, thanks for listening.